Hi, Saints. Welcome to a special edition of Talking Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., here to help you grow in faith and walk in God's amazing grace. This is part two of The Devil, Demons, and What You Can Do About Them by Apostle Frederick K.C. Price Sr. Now sit back and continue to be blessed. In our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14. In our last lesson, we began a two-part series, which we will conclude today, on the subject, the devil, demons, and what you can do about them. Now, at first, that might sound like a very gross subject, but in fact, it is a very important subject for us as Christians to understand because as Christians, we are in a spiritual warfare. We are in a titanic struggle with forces that are beyond the realm of the physical. And in order to successfully contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, we must know our enemy. We must know that he exists. We must understand his mode of operation. And we must understand how we are to view him and what weapons have been placed into our hands in order to oppose him. So as we talk about this subject, we're not glorifying the devil. What we're do doing is locating the enemy so that everyone can know that he is exposed and that you can defeat him. Now, in our last study, we began by proving from the Bible that the devil or Satan, or as we found out, he's called the dragon, he's called the serpent, he's called Satan, he's called the devil. These are aliases that refer to a spiritual being who is our arch enemy. He is out to gun you down. He is out to blow you away, as they say. He's out to drive you into the ground. He is out, actually, to annihilate you. And so it's important for us to know his tactics. Now, there are many, especially in these modern days, who try to tell us that there is no such thing as a devil. There is no such personage or personal being as a devil or Satan. But that's just simply a theological terminology that the preachers have dreamed up to scare the people and that Satan doesn't really exist. Well, you know who's behind that lie. Because if you can do away with Satan and show that he doesn't exist, then of course you end up with God being your problem. And that's exactly what has happened down through the years. People have thought that God was their problem when in fact it was not and is not God at all, but it is Satan. So we took the Bible and we started out showing you from the scriptures, not my opinion, not your opinion, not what this church believes, but what the B-I-B-L-E says to show you scripturally and biblically that there is a person called the devil so that you can recognize who he is, how he works, and what you can do to overcome him. Because if you don't know how to overcome him, I got news for you, he is and will overcome you. So we gave you several scriptures, and I have a lot of scriptures. I hope you got a whole lot of lead in your pencil and a lot of ink in your pen and a lot of paper to write on because I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures because I want you to see this from the standpoint of the Bible. I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to take somebody else's word for it, but I want you to take God's word for it because that is the final line of proof, the word of God. Not what I think, not what you think, not what we think, not what our church teaches, not what your church teaches, but what thus saith the Lord. Now, we were going through several scriptures to show you the fact of Satan and who he is. We're still, we still want to finish up on that, establishing 
who Satan is, the fact of his existence, and who he is relative to what the Bible says about him. Now, we've read several scriptures to you, for you, and we want to go on. John chapter 14, and uh, we'll look at the 30th verse. John 14, 30. This is Jesus himself speaking. Now, you know that if anybody ought to know whether there's a devil or not, Jesus ought to know. You know, if anybody ought to know whether there is a real person called Satan, Jesus Christ ought to know. Because the Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a liar. So if he says there is a devil, he's not lying about it. So there must be a devil. Irrespective of what I say, or what they say, or what he says, or what some church says, or what some bearded professor in some seminary says, it's a matter of what does Jesus say. All right, now here in John chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus is speaking. And he's saying to his disciples, and of course, ultimately to us, he says, Hereafter I will not speak much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now, it's interesting that the word prince there, the Greek original word is the word archon. And that word literally means ruler. It means ruler. So we could say it this way. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the ruler of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now, keep that in mind because it's going to be important as we go on. Now, look at the 16th chapter of John. John chapter 16. And uh, this time, we will look at verse 7. John 16, 7. Jesus, again, is speaking. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go unto my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because of the what? Because of the what? I said the what? Of this world is judged. There's that term again, archon, the word prince, or ruler of this world. All right, look at another passage of Scripture. This time, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Now, what we're doing, we are establishing the fact of Satan. We are ex establishing the fact that Satan does exist, that he is a real person, and that we need to know that he does exist. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, we'll read two verses. Now, these are very important verses. The writer says in the third verse, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the what? Of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, notice verse 4. It says, In whom the what? God of this world. Say that. God of this world, in whom the what? God of this world. Now, notice it doesn't say the God of all the ages. It doesn't say the Creator God, but it says the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. Why? Lest or unless the glorious gospel of Jesus should come unto them and they be saved. Therefore, this God of this world could not be the heavenly Father God, 
who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this must be another God. Well, it is. It is the God of this world, who is also referred to as the prince of this world, or the ruler of this world, or the dragon, or the serpent, or Satan, or demons, or the devil. Now notice again, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Why? In whom the God of this world, now, that person must exist. If he didn't exist, he couldn't blind the minds of anybody. So the Bible says that he does exist. All right, now look at Ephesians chapter 2, the second chapter of Ephesians. Now, I have a lot of Scripture that I want to go over because this subject is so paramount to the Christian life that we really need to see it in bold relief. In the second chapter of Ephesians, and we'll look at two verses, verses 1 and 2. Now, listen to this. And you hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the what? Prince of the power of the air. The what? Spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now you see, Satan or the devil is a spirit being. Actually, he is an angelic being. He is an angel, a dethroned angel, a fallen angel, a rebellious angel. But angels are spirits. He is a spirit being. And here the writer says in verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now that spirit is the God of this world, is the prince of this world, is the devil, is Satan, is the dragon, is the serpent. Same person. All right, look at the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Chapter 6. And we see another verse, the 11th verse, Ephesians 6, 11. The apostle Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the who? Yeah. Say that again. Yeah. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the what? Devil. The devil then must exist. If the devil didn't exist, why would you need to put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand against something that wasn't there? And yet there are preachers who stand in pulpits to tell you there is no personal person called the devil. Now, who are you going to believe? Them, me, or the Bible? The Bible. Here it is right here in bold-faced lettering. Listen, put on the whole armor of God. Armor is for what? Protection. Well, then you must have an opponent in order to need armor. All right, listen. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So that means the devil must exist. That's a fact. Whether you want to accept it or not, it is a fact, biblically speaking. Look at 2 Corinthians, the second chapter this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Or did I say 2 Corinthians? 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Just wanted to be sure you were awake. <laughs> Amen. Second Timothy. And uh, this time we'll look at the second chapter. Second Timothy. And uh, we will look at verse 26. Second Timothy 2.26. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the who? Yeah. Say it again. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Taken captive 
by him. Him is a personal pronoun, is it not? And it refers to a person, not an it or a thing, but a person. All right? He says, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare or trap. A snare is a trap. The trap of the devil. Well, there couldn't be a trap if there's no devil. If the devil doesn't exist, how could you be trapped by him? Huh? And how could you recover yourself out of a snare that somebody that doesn't exist couldn't have set because he doesn't exist? So if there's no trap, then you don't need to recover yourself out of the trap that doesn't exist because if the devil doesn't exist, then there's no trap for you to be trapped in so you don't need to be recovered from anything. Is that right? All right. But the man said, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. All right, look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We find in the 10th chapter of Acts, the apostle Peter was in the house of a Gentile man named Cornelius, and he was preaching to this household, the man and his family and those that were assembled there in his house. And in the process of speaking, he said and made a statement concerning the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that is very important to us because there are many Christians who are suffering sickness and disease, and there is much misunderstanding about the origin of sickness and disease and that who is responsible for it. And there are some well-meaning Christians who say, the Lord put that on me. The Lord is testing me, or the Lord is trying me, or the Lord is trying to get my attention with cancer and with heart condition and with all these other things. And many Christians are confused about it. They really don't know what to believe. Well, the Bible very clearly tells us. Here in Acts chapter 2, or chapter 10 rather, verse 38, the apostle Peter makes a statement concerning the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, and what? Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now, how could Jesus go about healing all that were oppressed of the devil if the devil doesn't exist? And from that verse of Scripture, I take it that sickness and disease then must be satanic oppression, that Satan is the oppressor and Jesus is the deliverer. He said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all, and healing all, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. How could Jesus heal people that were oppressed by a devil that doesn't exist? So that means then that the devil must exist. Hallelujah. However, Jesus is bigger than the devil because though the devil oppressed, Jesus delivered. Praise God. Well, now, is he a was, used to be deliverer? Thank God he's an ever-present deliverer today and he'll be a deliverer tomorrow because he's still bigger than the devil. Praise God. All right, let's look at another passage here. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke, the 13th chapter. Now, we're establishing the existence of Satan or the devil from the standpoint of the Bible. We're showing you that he exists. In a few moments, we're going to get into what you can do about it. But the first thing we have to do is to establish his existence so that there is no shadow of doubt in your mind that there is such a person called the devil. Regardless of what anybody says or any church or any denomination, but what does the Bible say? Amen. All right, now here in Luke, we will look at chapter 13, beginning with verse 10. And it says... And he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and, in, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. 
and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Now listen to this, verse 15. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, whom what? What? Satan. Say it a little louder. Satan has bound. Jesus said Satan had this woman bound, and he said all these 18 years, and he said she ought to be loosed, yes, even on the Sabbath day. Now, it said that Satan had her bound. So this woman's infirmity was caused not by God, but by Satan. So then in order for Satan to have caused this woman to be bound for 18 years, and in order for Jesus to say that it was Satan, Satan must have been in existence. For if he didn't exist, and if he wasn't real, then how could he bind somebody? How can you be bound by something that's non-existent? So we see very clearly from these scriptures that Satan is, unfortunately, alive and doing well in planet Earth. Unfortunately. He is alive, and he is real. Now, the second thing we want to discuss now is our relationship to him. How should we view Satan? How should we look at Satan? What should be our attitude towards him? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Look at Ephesians, the sixth chapter again, and we'll look at several other verses. Ephesians chapter 6. How should we view Satan? What should be our attitude towards him? Should we embrace him as a bosom buddy? Should we invite him in and cause him or allow him to be a part of our lives and our circumstances? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, two verses... Verses 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for or because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Now, when he says wrestle, wrestle implies contention. It implies strife. It implies combat. It implies an opponent. So what it's saying then is that apparently we must have an enemy. We have an opposition because he says here, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's that God of this world. The darkness of this world against spiritual, not fleshly, not bodily, but spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. So we should look at Satan as an enemy, not a friend. All right, look at something else. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll look at another verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And in the 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians, we'll look at verse 3. And this tells us what we can do about what we just read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now, the term war implies, again, struggle, conflict, strife. It implies an opponent. It implies what? An enemy. If you're at war, you must have an enemy. Isn't that right? And you must be somebody else's enemy or else they wouldn't be at war with you. 
So we ought to view Satan then as an enemy, not as a friend. All right, look at this scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now notice it said wrestle, wrestle. Then it says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not what? War, war after the flesh. Notice the terms now. Wrestling, warfare. All right? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and look at verse 18. It says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went forth or before on thee, that thou by them mightest what? War a good what? Warfare. So again, we see the word warfare. War, warfare, war, warfare, wrestle. Now look at the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy. The first part of verse 12, it says what? It says what? 1 Timothy 6, 12. The first part of the verse says what? Fight. Says what? Fight. Says what? Fight. 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 The good fight of faith. So now notice what we've seen. Wrestle, war, warfare, fight. We must have an enemy. These are all terms that describe conflict, that describe contention and strife. Wrestle, warfare, war, fight. All right, look at something else. We see another designation here. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 this time. Now, it's interesting right there, uh, just before you go to chapter 2, that, that word uh, fight in the 12th verse of 1 Timothy chapter 6, the word fight in the Greek is the word agon, A-G-O-N, and it means contest, contention, or conflict. That's what it literally means. So again, we're talking the same thing, war. We're talking about an opponent, an opposition. All right, now here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see something else. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, we see in the fourth verse, it says, No man that what? Warreth, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a what? A what? You all awake or did you go to sleep on me? All right, let's read that again. No man that what? Entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a what? Soldier. Now notice all these terms are battle terms. Wrestle, fight, war, warfare, soldier. Fight the good fight. All of these are battle terms, which means then that we must be in a contention with an enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we will look at verse 8. 1 Peter 5, 8. We're given another admonition. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because you're what? Because you're what? Adversary. Notice who's adversary. Your adversary. And then he tells you who he is. What does it say? Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may what? Devour. devour. He wants to devour you. That's what his game is. He'll devour you with sickness, fear, poverty, disease, 
warfare, bloodshed, accidents, anything he can. He wants to devour the child of God. And so we need to recognize that we're in a warfare. All of these terms that we've read tell us how we should view Satan. He's not a friend. He's not a bosom buddy. He's not somebody to cuddle up to and lie down in the bed with to go to sleep with. He is your enemy. He's out to gun you down. He's out to destroy you. Every term is a battle term. We read it. Conflict, war, strife, warfare, fight, soldier. All of these are terms that show us that we should view Satan as an enemy. All right, let's look at another facet of this study. The devil and demons are already defeated. Now, they don't want you to know that. They don't want the church to know that. That's the reason why you hardly ever hear any teaching on this subject. And whenever you teach on it, there is an oppression that comes in that tries to lull your mind to sleep, that tries to dull your ears so you can't hear it. And you get kind of drowsy and you get kind of sleepy because the devil doesn't want you to hear this because he knows that once you become aware of who he is and once you become aware of how he operates and once you become aware that he's already whipped and defeated, then you'll stop allowing him to lord it over you and he will be out of business as far as you're concerned. Be out of business. He'll have to close up shop. Every time I teach on this, I can, I can feel, I mean literally feel the oppression that comes because the devil doesn't want you to hear this. You feel yourself getting sleepy, that's not because it's warm, that's because the devil wants to dull your senses. He doesn't want you to hear about this. Very few times in your whole Christian life have you ever heard anybody preach on a subject like this in such detail as this. Why? Because it's exposing the enemy, and he doesn't like that. But I want you to know that the devil and the demons are already defeated. He doesn't want you to know that, but they're already whipped, and they're already defeated. Praise God. All right, now let's prove this out. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John, the first epistle of John, and the third chapter. Oh, I like to tell off on the devil. I like to tell off on him. I like to expose him. I like to put his business in the street. Amen. So that the Christian community can know that our problem is not God. That they'll stop blaming the Heavenly Father for their misfortunes and all the stuff that comes against them. And they'll call a, a what it is really what it is. It's Satan and demon forces. But you have authority over them. Praise God. You are, you're on the top. You're a winner. They cannot lord it over you once you find out who you are and find out that they're defeated. Now here in 1 John, we'll see in um, verse 8, it says... He that committeth sin, now committeth here literally means he that practices sin as a way of life. The Greek bears out this idea that it's not talking about somebody that commits the sin in the sense of making a mistake and sinning, but rather the idea is he that practices sin as a way of life. Now Christians don't practice sin as a way of life, do they? No. But sinners do. Now a Christian may sin, he may make a mistake, but he asks the Father for forgiveness and he goes on from there and he doesn't do it anymore. But a, a sinner, he practices sin. That's his normal lifestyle. A sinner sins like a dog goes bow wow and a cat goes meow. That's their nature, see? And so they just automatically do that. But now notice what he says here. He that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. There's the devil again. For this purpose, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, I ask you the question, was Jesus manifested? 
Sure he was. He came into this world and he did exactly what the Bible says. He destroyed the works of the devil. Now remember this, that you have to understand that when you're reading the English Bible, I happen to be reading from the King James Bible, which is an English version of an original Greek translation. And unfortunately, when they translated, they didn't always translate accurately and evenly in terms of the exact meaning of the words. It's not that it is an incorrect translation in the sense that it's misleading you or leading you astray, but it just didn't always translate to the highest power in order to give you the fullest meaning and the fullest understanding of the original word. Now, this word destroy here in this verse does not mean what the word destroy means in the English language. When you think of the word destroy, you think of a thing not existing any longer. You say if a building was destroyed, you visualize that building is not there. Fire has burned it down or an earthquake has taken it away or it's been bombed out or whatever. So when we think of the word destroy, we think of a thing as non-existent. Well, this word in the original Greek does not mean annihilation or obliteration as though a thing didn't exist anymore. The word here in the Greek is the word L-U-O, the word luo. And what it means is to loosen or set free from. Think of a man with handcuffs on him. If he had handcuffs or he had ropes around his wrist tying his hands together, he would be what? Limited in his movements. He would be restricted in what he could do. Isn't that right? Well, now the word luo implies that Satan and his works have bound up mankind, has wrapped ropes around their wrists, and has put handcuffs and chains on them so that they cannot be free. And what it means when it says the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil is that Jesus came in and with the power of God, he cut the rope and took the handcuffs off of us and set us free from the authority of Satan and demon forces. That's what it means. See, it doesn't mean that the works of the devil are not still around because they are. Murder and rape and prejudice and hatred and sickness and disease and poverty and fear are still with us, aren't they? We see them everywhere. So they're not destroyed in the sense of being annihilated so that they're non-existent. But as far as you are concerned, dear Christian friend, Satan has no legal right to put his works on you to make them stick. He'll try to come against you, but praise God, when you put up the armor of God and the shield of faith, you will be able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Why? Because Jesus has loosened you or set you free from the works and authority of Satan and demon forces. Praise God. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, let's look at something else. In Hebrews chapter 2, we'll see another very interesting statement. In fact, what we're getting ready to look at now will just about bomb some of you out. What I mean by that, it, it will be so contradictory to tradition and to what you've heard all your Christian life until it'll be difficult for some of you to even believe it. But just jot the scriptures down and then meditate on them. Look them up for yourself. Read them, go over them over and 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 over again until you get it past the cranial cavity and down into your heart or your spirit because these words can go far towards setting you free from a whole lot of things that have kept you hung up and strung out and in bondage as a Christian. Now listen to this. Hebrews chapter 2, and we will read two verses here. Verses 14 and 15. Now listen to this. This is heavy. Or let's read, uh, yeah, verse 14. It says, For as much then as the children, that's talking about us now, are partakers of flesh and blood, 
He, Jesus, if you read the context, it's talking about Jesus. He also himself likewise took part of the same. That is, Jesus Christ became flesh and blood. All right? Part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the who? The devil. And then do what? And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, you've been going around blaming God for people dying. You've been going around blaming God for have, having taken your son and your daughter and your mother and your father and your wife and your sweetheart and your sister and all the rest of your family. You've been blaming God. Some of you even have the audacity to be mad at God. You've been sitting around and you won't go to church and you won't, you won't hear anything about Jesus because somewhere along the line you sat in a funeral and you saw the body of your dear precious loved one lying in that coffin and heard that dingbat preacher standing up in the pulpit saying the Lord took him. And so you got a little upset with God. You got a little mad about it. And you said, listen, if that's the kind of work that God does, if that's what God does, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And so you turned away from God and thought you had a legal right to do it. But dear friend, the Bible very clearly tells us here that Satan, has the authority and dominion of death. God is not a killer. God is a life giver. It's not God that's your problem. It's Satan and it's demon forces. But thanks be unto God that Jesus has taken the authority away from Satan as far as the child of God is concerned. And Satan has no legal right to run in to your family or your circumstances and take your life by premature death. Thanks be unto God. Listen, he says, and deliver them who through fear of death. Man, I know exactly what he was talking about because some of you won't even ride on an airplane. And the only reason you won't ride on an airplane and you, you got to be something, there's got to be something wrong with your head. If you take a bicycle or a moped or a motorbike or an automobile or any other thing to travel all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast when an airplane is the fastest, smoothest, quickest way to get there. But some of you won't ride on a plane. You you know why? You're scared of flying. But it's not really flying that you're scared of because you've never even been on an airplane before. What you're really scared of is dying. It's the fear of death that's kept you off that plane. Amen. See? And that's exactly what he's talking about. See? He delivered them who through, who through fear of death. Not fear of flying. He had never even been on an airplane. Try it. you like it. But it's death that kept you off of there, the fear of death. It kept me off for years. You couldn't get me on an airplane at gunpoint. You couldn't shoot me, handcuff me, and put me in a coffin and get me on an airplane. I'd resurrect, man. That's how scared I was of flying on an airplane. But it wasn't really the airplane because I'd never been on one. It was the fear of dying because I was led to believe that God was the one killing you. And you know, they say, well, you just never know, Brother Price. God may want to take you and get you up there, and he may kill the pilot. And if he kills the pilot, then you're going to. All that kind of dumb garbage. And because of that fear, it's kept many Christians bound. Kept them cheated and robbed out of many things they could have had in life, all because of death. But dear friend, I'm here to tell you that Jesus has taken the sting out of death and that we don't have to be afraid of death. In fact, if you know how to operate, and I don't have time to go into it in this lesson, but you'll learn how to control the circumstances so that you'll pick and choose your own time to die. And that's after you have lived out a full life, full of years, hallelujah. Yes, sir, without sickness and without disease and without accident and without somebody shooting you in the head, without somebody cutting your head off. Well, you say, how am I going to die if I don't get sick? Have you ever thought about wearing out? <laughs> Just wear out, praise God. Huh? Just wear out. 
You don't have to die from being shot or killed or some other junk like that. Now turn to Luke chapter 10 and we'll see something else here and show you what Jesus has done and what authority he has given us concerning Satan and demons. Oh, the devil doesn't like this subject. Oh, he doesn't like this. But that's all right. Jesus said the truth will make you free. I said Jesus said the truth will make you free. Amen. I found, out, I found out that it wasn't airplanes I was scared of. It was death I was scared of because I, I was misled into thinking God was the one that was killing folks. I heard the preacher say the Lord took him. Well, Brother Price, you just never know what the Lord might do. And God was trying to tell you something, and the Lord took him. Oh, the Lord took him. That's a bunch of junk. Jesus said, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And abundant life doesn't mean being snatched out right in the prime of your years, praise the Lord. No way. I found out, praise God, and when I took death, I kicked it in the head with the word of God. I told Satan to get back and take his hands off of every airplane that I fly on and every pilot and every stewardess and steward and that nothing can happen to me while I'm on board that plane because the angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that reverence him. And praise God, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty and a thousand can fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come nigh me because I dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's right. That's right. And I haven't had I haven't had a scared flight yet. Praise the Lord. And I've flown over 500,000 miles preaching the Word of God. I've been on some airplanes when the engines blew out of them while they were taking off. I've been on airplanes when they started up into the sky and they lost their power and had to come crashing back down on the ground on the wheels and blew out all the tires. And there was never any fear in Freddie, baby, because I knew that nothing could happen while I was on board that plane. Huh? Sure. But see, through fear of death all my life, that, that fear of death kept me cheated and kept me robbed. See what I mean? But I found out that Jesus, my Lord and my Savior and my Redeemer, my champion, praise God, has defeated death, hell, and the grave and put the devil under his feet. And since I'm the body of Christ and the feet are located in the body, then that means that death, hell, and the grave and the devil and demons are under my feet. Yeah. Praise the Lord. All right, now watch. Luke chapter 10. Here's what Jesus said to do. This is what he said to do. Now, in the 17th verse of the 10th chapter of Luke, it says this, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils or demons are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Hallelujah, friend, that's talking about us. Did you know that? That's talking about you. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Behold, I give unto you power. Now that particular word power there in that verse is the word exousia, which means authority, right, or privilege. So what he's literally saying is, Behold, I give unto you authority, right, or privilege to tread on. The word tread means to walk on. That means to walk on serpents and scorpions. Those are some of the aliases of the demon host. Serpents and scorpions and over all the power. Now this word power, even though it's the same P-O-W-E-R in the English Bible, is an entirely different word in the Greek text. The word power, the second word is the word dunamis, which means ability. So what he has said is, behold, I give you authority over all of the ability of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Praise the Lord. That's who you are. That's what you have. Now the devil doesn't want you to know that. Can't you see he doesn't want you to know that? If he can keep you ignorant of that and keep you running scared, he'll dominate your life and dominate your circumstances. 
So the devil and demons are already defeated. Jesus has defeated them for us. However, you'll never get any of the personal benefit of that until you know it, believe it, and exercise your spiritual authority by taking the Word of God and exercising your faith and doing what the next subheading will say, and that is, how do we deal with the devil and demons? Let's find out what the Bible says. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 4. Two openings. We're going to look at one first and then swing right back to Matthew. We're going to find out how do we do it? How do we deal with it? You say that all these things are ours, Brother Price, but how do we actually put them into operation? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Hallelujah. We're going to find out exactly how to do it. You don't need to be defeated any longer. You don't need to run scared any longer. You don't need to be afraid anymore because your Savior and your Lord and your Redeemer has made it possible for you to be more than a conqueror through Him that loves you. Hallelujah. But you're going to have to, you're going to, have to take your authority and do something about it. First of all, you're going to have to know it. If you're ignorant of it, there's not a thing you can do. That's why the Bible says my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's why we're coming to you right now. That's why we're sharing this word so that you will not be destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. You will know that you know that you know. Now, here in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, if you've read this section here from about verse 10 through to verse 17, it talks about the whole armor of God. And uh, there are various pieces of the armor that are mentioned. But the point that I want you to center down on right now is the 17th verse where it says there, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God has given us a weapon, and that weapon is the Word of God. It is called the sword of the Spirit. It is the sword of our own recreated spirit. It's the sword that we use to go against the enemy. But you have to know how to properly use that sword or that weapon or it won't do you any good. You see, God hasn't left us sitting or standing out in the middle of the desert unprotected and stark naked in front of the onslaught of Satan and demon hordes. Oh, no. We've got weapons. We've got armor. But you know what? There is no weaponry or armament that will do you any good if you don't use it. And you can't use it if you don't know you got it. Isn't that right? Yeah. And so that's why the Word of God tells us. Now listen, he says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This book, the Bible, is God's Word. But now how do you use this Word against the enemy? You can't take the devil and beat him over the head with this Bible. You can't take this Bible as you would a regular sword, a steel-bladed sword, and cut the enemy with it. But there is a way that you use this Word. There is a way that you use the sword of the Spirit, and it is with your mouth. You're going to have to learn how to speak the Word of God instead of speaking the words of the world and the words of the latest popular song and the words of Satan. You're going to have to learn how to speak the words of the Word of God. And the way you release the power of the sword of the Spirit is through words through your mouth. Now, let me give you an illustration of how it's done. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, who is our leader and our Redeemer, and our example has given us the method by which we overcome the enemy with the sword of the Spirit. See, you may not realize it, but when Jesus was here on earth, he had to contend with the same enemy that we have to contend with. If you read very carefully and accurately the four Gospels, you will see over and over again where it talked about him casting out demons, where it talked about demons coming against him. And those same demons are in the world today, and they'll try to overrun you. If you let them, they'll scare you off if you let them. But Jesus showed us how to take the sword of the Spirit. He showed us how to use the ability that God has made available to us. But I, I, I have to do it. If I don't do it, it won't be done. 
Some people have the idea that we're just left out there and we don't have any protection. And most Christians are, are, are all the time running from the devil, getting up in the testimony meetings and saying, brothers and sisters in the Lord, I just want to tell you, oh, hallelujah and praise the Lord. I want you to know that I had the devil on the run today. I want you to know that I had Satan on the run today. I just want you to hear my testimony. I want you to know that I had the devil on the run. The only thing, he is running and chasing me. And that's what happens to most of them. Yeah, they got the devil on the run, running after them. And it should be the other way around. When you come by, the devil ought to say, Ah, there's another one of those Christians. And he ought to take off running. Instead of that, he sees the average Christian and comes and says, Mmm, look at me. I got me another meal. Let me go gobble him down. And he comes against that Christian and runs them away. The devil will learn how to be afraid of you. They were afraid of Jesus. He walked into a synagogue one day, and there was a man there that had that spirit. That man had been in church, as it were, all those years. Nobody knew he had a demon in him. He is Mr. Cool. But boy, when the power of God came into that synagogue, when the Son of God came into that synagogue, that demon spirit that was lingering and lurking down inside that man, when he saw the Son of God come into that synagogue, he cried out and said, Ah! I know you, Jesus, the Son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? And Jesus said, Out! And that was the end of that. He's gone. <laughs> He's gone. That was the end of that. That was the end of that. He spoke the word of God, and that was the end of that. All right, now listen to this. Matthew chapter 4. I'll tell you what, I done turned me on. I don't know about you. Ooh, I'll leave out of here. I'm going to go find me some demons to chase. Praise the Lord. Hey, glory. Yeah. All right, Matthew chapter 4. Listen to this. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. See, the devil's the tempter, not God. It's not God tempting you. Satan is called here the tempter. And you have to be deaf, dumb, blind, or dishonest not to see this. And I don't know which one you are, and I'll just leave that to your own judgment. All right, now listen. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, spoke words to him. He said, if thou be the Son of God, if... That's the way, same thing he uses against us. Now, if you're really a Christian, now, I mean, if you were really filled with the Holy Ghost, now, if God really loved you, now, I mean, if you were really healed, see, he comes to cast doubt on God's Word and God's working in your life. And if he can get you to start doubting it, he's got you right where he wants you. But right, now, listen. Verse 2, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, See, the devil said, and then Jesus countered that by answering and saying something to the devil. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, this is the way you use the sword of the Spirit, with your mouth. You declare what's written. But don't you know, dear Christian friend, you cannot declare what's written unless you read it. The reason most Christians cannot say what's written, they ain't never read the book. If they knew as much about the Bible as they did about who's in first place in the latest sports league, they'd be spiritual giants. Man, they can quote all the batting averages, and they can quote all the field goal achievements of so-and-so, and doctor -and so-and-so, -and, -so, and this guy, and that guy, and the other guy, and they don't know nothing about the Bible. No wonder the devil's whipping them and beating them and defeating them in every area and contest of life. Jesus said, it's written. Amen. You have to know what's written before you can say what's written. 
You better know chapter and verse. Because, see, the devil is a legalist. He'll challenge you, brother. He'll make you cough it up. You better know what's written. You better not say, well, Brother Price said. That ain't going to get it in the midnight hour. You better know what the Bible said. You better not quote Brother Price. You better know what the Bible says, friend. That doesn't, that doesn't impress the devil, what Brother Price said. <laughs> Only time what Brother Price says work is when Brother Price says it to the devil. Then it'll work for me. But you better know what the Word of God says for yourself. All right. Now listen, let's go on. Verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. Woo, look at this. We got the devil quoting the Bible. See, you better be careful. Satan knows the Bible. Oh, he doesn't know what it means because if he did, he'd read the back of the book and find out we win and he loses. But... He at least knows the chapters and the verses, and he usually knows more than the average Christian, so he'll trick you up by giving you portions of scriptures and half scriptures and half truths to confuse you and defeat you. So now we got the devil quoting the Bible. He says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again. He counted him with the word of God. It is written again, devil. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then we could go on with one more encounter there, but I want to move on. But I just wanted you to see that the way that you use the weapons of God are by the words of your mouth. You have to speak God's word. Now look at Mark chapter 16, and we see something else here that the word of God tells us concerning our ability to defeat the enemy. Mark chapter 16. Hallelujah. Thank God we're on top. We're victors. And we need not be intimidated by the enemy. Now, here in Mark chapter 16... And uh, verse 17, Jesus again is speaking and he says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. How many of you are believers? Raise your hand, please. How many of you are believers? Say, I am a believer. I am a oh, you can do better than that. I am One more time and I might be convinced. I am if that's true, then Jesus is talking to you. He's talking to you. If you say you're a believer, Jesus is talking to you. Now listen to what he says, to you. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons. The word says devils in the King James, but the word in the Greek is the word demons. They shall cast them out. You don't have to run from them. Cast them out. If they're act up, acting up around you, cast them out. It might be in your job, might be on your job, might be in your car, might be in your house, wherever they are. You cast them out in the name of Jesus. Speak the word to them and say, in the name of Jesus, devil, I command you to leave. He's got to go. Jesus said, in my name they shall cast them out. That is the believers. Are you a believer? Yes. And start casting the demons out of your circumstances and out of your life. You've got that authority in the name of Jesus. And if you don't do it, they won't be cast out. All right, let's look at something else. Ephesians chapter 4. And see what else the Bible says. Jesus said, cast them out. So that means that if they're not out, it's because I didn't cast them out. All right, here in Ephesians 4 and verse 27, it says, neither give place to the devil. Do you know what that's saying? He says, neither give place to the devil. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying that if the devil has a place, you gave it to him. You don't have anybody to blame but you. It also means that he can't have a place unless you give it to him. 
because he said, neither give place to the devil. That means he can't have one unless you give it to him. Now, an interesting thing here in this 27th verse is the word place there in the Greek is the word topos, T-O-P-O-S. And the word is the word from which we derive the English word topography. And the English word topography, it has to do with land masses and the contours of the land, you know, mountains and rivers and things like that. And what he's saying, don't give the devil a rock, a pebble, a, a mountain, a, a, a lake, an inlet, an island. Nothing. Don't give him anything, meaning he can't have it unless you give it to him. He said, neither give place to the devil. All right, let's look at something else. Oh, I tell you, the Lord has fixed us up. All we got to do is do what the Word says. Now turn to James chapter 4. And we have another verse. James chapter 4. <clears throat> and verse 7. James chapter 4, and the 7th verse says, now listen to this. The part of the verse that's usually quoted is, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But see, that's not the whole verse. You have to do the first part in order for the second part to work. It says, submit yourself, therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, how do, you re how do you submit to God? You submit to God by submitting to the Word of God. If you're not submitted to the Word of God, you're not submitted to God. Why? Because God's will is revealed in His Word. Now, when you submit or yield yourself to the Word, then you can say to the devil, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And that may be one reason why you're not fleeing from some of you because you're not submitted to the Word. Oh, you out there doing all the rebuking and all the binding and loosening and commanding to get out in Jesus' name, but you're not submitted to the Word of God. You're doing your own thing instead of what the Word says. It won't work unless you're doing exactly what the Word said. Submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, should we say... The Lord rebuke you. I heard a minister say one time, he said, he, he said, we should never say, we should never rebuke the devil. We should say the Lord rebuke you. Well, let's find out what that's all about. Turn to the book of Jude, chap, uh, verse 9. It's only one book. Jude is the book right before the book of Revelation, if you didn't know where it was. I mean, I knew that you knew where it was, but, you know, you know just in case somebody had, it slipped their mind. I heard a preacher say, oh, we should, never, we should never rebuke the devil. We should say the Lord rebuke you. Well, is that true? Well, here's where they get that idea. Jude verse 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said the Lord rebuke you. That's true. The angel did say that. But the reason that the angel said the Lord rebuke you is because the angels do not have the authority that you as a blood-bought, blood-washed child of God has. They have never been commissioned with the Word of God, nor are they given the priority to do away with or deal with the devil. He had, the angel had to say, the Lord rebuke you. But you don't have to say that. You do the rebuking. Jesus said, you cast him out. Jesus said, give him no place. Jesus said, submit and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. See, remember when that man Cornelius had the vision in his house and he was a Gentile man and the Bible says an angel came in unto him and told him to send to Joppa for a man named Simon Peter. Why didn't that angel tell the man how to get saved? Why did the man have to wait three days for Peter to come? Because the commission for the salvation word of God is not given to angels. It's given to men and only men can preach the gospel of salvation. Angels haven't been commissioned to preach it. Neither have angels been commissioned to cast out demons. But I tell you who has. That's the child of God. That's talking about you and talking about me and thank God for it and I'm out of time.
Wow, that Fred Price Sr. is surely a blessing to the body of Christ. Praise God for this powerful message. I know you were blessed by this message by Apostle Frederick Casey Price Sr. entitled, The Devil, Demons, and What You Can Do About Them. The good thing about this message, it's true. You can do something about the devil and his demons. I want to point out some very important factors about this message. Number one, Satan is your enemy. God is not only your savior, but he is your friend. The devil exists, and if you didn't know it before, you definitely know it now. Number two, God is life, and there is no darkness in him. Jesus died so we can have abundant life. An abundant life does not include an early death, sickness, or destruction in your lives. Number three, Satan causes sickness, not God. But God is our healer. God is our deliverer. God is our protector. And he is our comforter in times of need. Number four, Every bad thing that happens in your life is caused by the devil and his demons. But be of good cheer, saints. Jesus gave us authority to cast out demons and trample on those dirty serpents. The devil can only cause devastation in your lives if you allow it. And number five, death and life are in the power of your words. And as long as you keep speaking death over your life and your family, you will be the recipient of your words. So the first thing you need to do to change the course of your life is start by learning God's promises for you in his word and start speaking positive things over yourself, your family, and your friends. Now, if you have any questions about this message, please send your questions or comments to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Also, if you would like to continue to support this podcast financially by sowing in good ground, because we teach the truth and the truth is good ground, please go to my Anchor or Spotify homepage and show your support by contributing an amount of your choice. Now, until next time, saints. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. See you next time.